We've only got a few weeks left in the book of Acts. Uh, we've been here for a while, as you know. Um, it's going to be weird leaving, but uh, uh, I am excited for these next couple weeks because these next couple weeks, um, some really big things like happen in the story and really in the history of the church. These are kind of monumental moves that take place. And so uh, we've been putting in some time. I've actually met with... Uh, a lot of people just to chew up these next couple passages because um, we've got kind of a uh, conflict building, you might say. Uh, you've got this Jewish church, this church that's almost all Jews, and some Gentiles start getting saved, and then a lot of Gentiles start getting saved. And they just have very different backgrounds. They do things very, very differently. And so this is going to build up to a conflict. And next week it kind of reaches its boiling point. And, um, and a lot of stuff hinges there. So we've been spending a lot of time. I actually spent all week studying for next week's message. So I have no idea what's going to happen tonight. But, <laughs> um, but uh, I'm really stoked about next week. And actually this week's message is kind of fun. Um, and fasten your seatbelt because this week's message is almost entirely political. Yay. What we all love. I know, I promised I would never do that, but I can't help it. Because this is a political book. It really is. From the, from the start, um, this has been a political movement. We're going to talk about this. I don't know if you saw my title as it went by earlier, but it's called On Being a Misfit. Because um, we're going to talk about what it means to be a Christian. I actually got that title from Doug a little bit. We were talking... Another time, and, and we were talking about politics. He was like, I don't fit anywhere. I'm a misfit. I don't, like, I don't, there's nowhere I can just say that's exactly what I believe. And, and so I kind of clung to that. And then as I bumped into this chapter, I see some kind of fun politics happening in this chapter. Really, it's been happening in the whole book. If you remember, when we first started, Jesus started out this whole thing with kind of a royal commission. He, he followed some uh, royal patterns of ascending to a throne and sending out heralds throughout the kingdom to herald the new king and to say there's a king on the throne. So you will be my witnesses. You'll be my royal heralds and go out through the kingdom and announce the king, that we have a king on the throne. And so that was their initial call. And if you remember the very next week, we talked about how not really knowing how they were supposed to act, not really knowing um, what, because Jesus never really sat down and said, this is the way I want my church to look. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is, a, this is how you're supposed to run this thing. All they could do was fall back on Torah, because right? these are Jewish believers. And so they would go back and they start doing things that the Old Testament had told them to do, like care for widows and poor and to, uh, and to, to treat um, the less fortunate in their community um, like them. And so people start selling things and bring it to the apostles and, they're, and they, they kind of start having things in common and they start taking care of, of the things that the people of God were always supposed to do. The things that the Old Testament kind of outlined for the people of God to do. That's all they knew to do was go back and try to look at what God was commanded his people to do and let's do those things. And so they start doing that. They start taking care of people um, and really it immediately leads to a political conflict because the people who were in power at the time, the people in Jerusalem who ran the temple were threatened by this. They were threatened by this. You're, you're suddenly making an impact on society. You're suddenly making a difference. And, um, and it's kind of weakening our hold on things. And so those people start to push back with some persecution. 
Um, and it starts with Peter healing a guy, which is ironic because almost the same thing happens to here, only in a completely different environment. Uh, Peter heals a guy and everybody kind of freaks out, wants to know why. So they gather around and Peter preaches and 5,000 people, 5,000 Jews um, from then like, begin to believe in the Messiah and Jesus as the Messiah. We wouldn't even really, almost wouldn't call it, a, they wouldn't have considered a conversion because they were still considered themselves to be Jews. They're still in the temple. They just now believe Jesus is the answer to what they've been waiting for. And so <laughs> this upsets the people in the temple and they, uh, they arrest Peter, threaten him, tell him not to preach anymore. And of course, he has to continue preaching, so he does. And this continues to boil. This kind of political conflict in Jerusalem begins to continues to boil until finally they stone Stephen. And, uh, and this is the first time kind of blood is drawn in this conflict, I guess. And they stone Stephen and the people have to scatter. They run from this persecution. The, the, the apostles stay, but everybody else kind of flees. And um, several of them who were diaspora Jews, they weren't raised in Jerusalem, so they didn't have a lot of the same... Um, almost racial um, considerations that they had in Jerusalem. They were Jews, but they grew up out in the Roman Empire. Didn't know any better, so they go straight up into Samaria. And, uh, and the Jews from Jerusalem didn't like the Samaritans, but Philip primarily finds some Samaritans that want to believe in Jesus. And so, um, so he takes the gospel into Samaria, which of course Jesus said was going to happen. He said, you're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so the, the apostles have to go up and kind of validate this thing and make sure that this is that they're really believing that this is a real deal. They go up, the Holy Spirit falls similar to he did as he did on the Jewish church. And so they now know the gospels in Samaria. And so they, they kind of preach their way back down. They kind of hit some more villages on the way back down. And then Paul, um, he gets a commission um, from Jerusalem to kind of take the persecution on the road. He's going to chase the church that scattered out of Jerusalem, and he gets orders to do it. So he's heading to Damascus, and, uh, and he's going to chase down the church. And while he's there, he has a run-in with Jesus, and the church kind of engulfs him. Like the church, he's, uh, he has this run-in with Jesus, and the Holy Spirit goes to Ananias and says, you need to go to this guy named Paul. And Ananias is like, no way. Have you heard what this guy's doing? And God tells him to do it, so he does it. He goes down, he preaches to Paul. The church at Damascus takes him in and feeds him and, and cares for him. And they find out that the Jews in Damascus, who were obviously, this was going to be their hero, this was going to be the guy that ended the church. When they find out he turns sides, they want to kill him. So they sneak him out of there and they take him back to Jerusalem where uh, the apostles want nothing to do with him. He just got done murdering um, Stephen not long ago. So, of course, they don't. Want him in. And a guy named Barnabas, whose name means encourager, like the nice guy, grabs Paul and kind of just drags him in. And he's like, you guys don't get it. He's been putting his life on the line for Jesus. He's been preaching. I think he's a convert. So they bring him in. And that church in, in, just accepts him and loves him. And then they find out the Jews of Jerusalem want to kill him. Same reason. This was supposed to be our hero. Um, and so he has to leave again and he finally goes home. And so the, the spread of the church then uh, kind of begins to grow in all the places. The persecution just stops. Once they kind of convert and embrace their persecutor, it just dies. And so the church gets to grow for a while. And a kind of a new hub springs up in Antioch. They go and get Paul because Antioch's not a Jewish town. And so they're like, surely the Jews here won't want to kill Paul. So they go get Paul. They bring him in. And then a few weeks ago, we learned that the church sends Paul out on his very first missionary journey. And this is kind of a cool thing 
Because this is the first time somebody like just voluntarily takes the gospel on the road. Up to now, it's been of necessity. They've been persecuted and threatened, and so they just kind of run, and they just bring the gospel with them when they run. This is the first time where it's like a, co- a commissioned trip. Like the church is like on your own, like just we're doing this on purpose. We're not running from anybody. We're going to take the gospel. And we went talked last week about his, Paul's first couple stops. And then we get to this week. And this week um, is kind of fun because we see Paul playing um, – a couple different political positions. And obviously, since every single one of us, when we think of, um, when we think of politics, we think of Facebook, right? Because that's where politics happens now. I mean, how can you, you almost can't think Facebook without thinking politics. And so I kind of gave this week a little bit of a, uh, a Facebook theme. Um, cause these are almost like there's three stories, kind of three scenes that take place here. Um, and it's like, <laughs> Everybody my age and younger is chuckling. And everybody older is going, I don't get it. I don't understand what's happening. <coughs> um, ask your grandkids. They'll tell you. Um, so he kinda, we kind of have three scenes. And what's interesting is um, Paul plays a different role in each theme. And it's kind of fun to watch um, Paul's uh, kind of position on some of these things. They're not, uh, they're not I mean, they're, they would have been political to them. They're, they seem theological to us. But there really was no difference back then. Um, and really there is no difference now either. But um, there's one thing, and I forgot to say it in my intro. Um, the phrase Jesus is Lord, you know how we say that, Jesus is Lord, and we sing it and things like that. That was originally not a, uh, like a faith statement, wasn't a, a, a theological statement. That was a political statement. That was pure politics because it was a common thing. Caesar is Lord was uh, was like God bless America. And it was something you had to do to get into marketplaces. It was something you had to do to, to enter pagan temples. Uh, you would just go in and Caesar is Lord. And they would say, come on, you know, Caesar is Lord. And they would come on in. And so it was, uh, that was there long before Jesus. The statement Caesar is Lord was a statement that existed long before Jesus. And so this was a subversive statement the Christians came up with. Where it was, so it's, it's, it's less like saying Jesus is the son of God in whom I believe. It's not, it wasn't really that at that point, it was Jesus is my president. Like it was a political statement. It was saying, I. It was an. It was a statement of allegiance. It was saying, I don't. I'm, I don't pledge my allegiance to Caesar. I pledge my allegiance to Jesus. And so it was. A, this was a distinctly, like subversive political move. And it actually led to, um, to problems because there were certain places that Christians couldn't go, certain markets they couldn't get into, certain things they couldn't buy, certain jobs they couldn't get. Because in order to do it, you would have to pledge allegiance to Caesar by saying Caesar is Lord. And they would say, I believe Jesus is Lord. I can't give my allegiance to Caesar. So there was certain restrictions that happened in that statement that they didn't get to do. And so the, politi- the original church was a, was a political church, not like we think of politics, but in terms of um, to, a, to a, a lie with Jesus was to, um, to like embrace a certain worldview. And we're going to talk about what that means as we go along. So scene number one, we talk about Jesus goes, uh, or Paul stops in his first town and he goes to the synagogue, which we've talked about was his, was his ready move. And this is still his home turf. This is a diaspora synagogue. So it's a synagogue that's away from Jerusalem. It's, a, it's in another town. So this is a synagogue that didn't have the temple politics built into it, the temple power structure. So it would have been, well, it was a more academic environment. And so it was common. We talked last week about how they read the scripture and then they just openly said, does anybody have a word of encouragement or anything for the brothers? And Paul stands up and gives his. 
that was pretty common for the way the synagogues worked. And so Paul goes and, uh, and, he, and he has a good reception. Like the, um, and it actually says that the, he, uh, there were some Greeks that had come to the synagogue and, and believed, and there was Jews. And it says they actually stirred up the non-believing Greeks. So the people outside the synagogue, the Jews that weren't believing, kind of turned them against Paul. So Paul stays in the synagogue this time. I don't know if you remember last week when the synagogue kind of, when he hit some conflict in the synagogue, he said, you know, it was right for us to come to you first, but you would not receive it. So lo, we turned to the Gentiles. And so he left the synagogue and starts meeting in Gentile houses. What says this time, they kind of turned the, the non-believing Greeks against Paul, the non-believing Gentiles against Paul. So he can't leave the synagogue. So he stays in the synagogue. And it seems like the, the conversations got pretty heated because he was... Uh, he caught wind that they were going to stone him. Uh, and so he, he, that's when he decides to leave. But here's what it says he was the, I guess, the hill he was dying on um, in this first town. It says, so they remained for a long time, speaking boldly of the Lord, who bore witness to the words of, of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So Paul, Paul's message in this first town, this first synagogue, is a message of grace. It's a message of the rules don't get you there. The, the law could never save you. And he's, he's preaching this in a, in a Jewish synagogue who that's all they've ever known. And that's all they could have ever known was that these, these laws are what is expected of us. These rules are what God has asked of us. This is what's expected of us. And then comes what's ultimately we would see as a liberal walks in the door and goes, the rules don't matter. It's grace. It's Jesus. It's believe in God. Let go of the rules. And so Paul's playing the liberal here. He's playing the, it's time to change. It's time to liberate ourselves and to, and to in essence, shake off some of these burdens. And, and uh, they won't have it. And so they, uh, they obviously, and, and some people believe there is a church here. Um, because when he really all this missionary journal was was a little dinky circle. He hits a bunch of church on the way out, kind of reaches his extent, and he hits all the same ones on the way back, encourages them, builds them up, and we'll talk about that at the end. But um, and so when he finally has to leave here, he leaves so they won't stone him, and it's because of this ultimately this liberal message he has, this message of grace, this message of of stop focusing so hard on the rules and on the way you live, okay? And that's stop number one. And then we get to stop number two. And this one's even more, because this is, in this one, Paul plays the conservative. Um, and this is ironic, because I don't think there was, I couldn't find any evidence of there ever being a, uh, a synagogue in this town that he's in. And it sounds like they're just passing through. And there were several towns on this route that they just kind of passed through. They really didn't feel a place to... Uh, really didn't come up with a place where they could stop and, um, and preach. And so they're just passing through and Paul sees a beggar. And it says, almost like Peter did, like he looked intently at him and saw that he had the faith to be healed. And so without even thinking, Paul sees faith in this guy and he responds to it. And he, he says, be healed in the name of Jesus. And the guy gets up. <clears throat> and in Peter's case, since he's in the temple when it happened, 5,000 people get saved. In this case... Um, it almost has the exact same impact, only this is in Asia Minor. And so the people scream, it's Zeus and Hermes, and they start rounding up sacrifices. Um, and there's actually evidence in um, Greek mythology that 
there was a prophecy that, that Zeus would um, come to Asia Minor. Um, and the prophecy goes that Zeus and Hermes would interact with two, um, two humans and, and bestow on them things. But none of that's important. But you could, you could say that Asia Minor was kind of waiting for something like this. They, had, they were kind of looking for Zeus. And so Paul comes in. He heals this guy. And the crowd is like ready to worship. And so they run in. And what's interesting is listen to what Paul says to him. Um, he says, uh, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men and li- uh, of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that's in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. And he did not leave himself without a witness for he did good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain them from offering sacrifice to them. What's most interesting about Paul's message here to me is he never says a word about Jesus. He doesn't even mention Jesus. Any Jew could have preached this message. This is a Jewish message. This is monotheism. What he's preaching is monotheism. He's not preaching Christianity at this point. These are, this is like paganism, this, you know, uh, polytheistic paganism. And Paul which is ironic because in the last town he's playing the Christian amongst a bunch of Jews. And now he's playing the Jews, a bunch, the Jew, a bunch amongst the pagans. He's saying, you know, there's one God people. There's only one God. And he, and he, what's interesting is he brings up all the, the creative nature of God, which is, um, which is a very Jewish concept because every, every prayer they pray, they, uh, blessed be he, uh, blessed be God, maker of the universe. They're, they're really into God's creative nature. Every prayer starts with something about God's creative nature. And so Paul falls back on that. He falls back on his Judaism um, because of his new environment. So Paul, in this Facebook post of Luke's, Paul makes a conservative post. And it's back to the monotheism. You know, it's back to the Old Testament, back to the, the one true God. And so in the first post, he's preaching to monotheists and he's trying to liberate them into something better. And in this post, he's preaching to pagans and he's trying to pull them back and into a more conservative understanding of Scripture. Um, and so Paul, and at this one, he actually does get stoned. In this town, um, it's kind of funny because they're, they had to be disappointed. You know, they've been waiting for Zeus. Some guy shows up with a healing power. They're ready to offer worship and do their thing. Paul shuts them down. And then the Jews from the last town come up and stir them up, it says, and they stone Paul. They drug him out of the city and stoned him. And either God resurrects him or it, they just don't actually kill him because they come out and Paul gets up and comes back into the city and, and moves on to the next town. And so it, he goes one more town then he circles back and does his circle back thing. And he comes back through. And so in his third post, uh, you would say this is his conservative or his Christian post. He's back with the churches. And some neat stuff happens here that we could spend a lot of time drawing out because Paul kind of preaches on the way out. Then on the way back, it says in each of the in each of the churches, he established elders and laid on hands and commissioned people. So it's like he he preaches the message on the way out. And then he kind of sets up the church government, if you want to call it that the church governance on the way back. says he put elders in every town and kind of helped them get on their feet in a more um, steady way. But ultimately, and in this one, you know, it. It turns out good. And he also, um, we talked about the Christian disciplines. He also instituted disciplines because it says that they fasted and prayed together and laid on hands and did a lot of the things that had been happening back in some of the other churches. So in all these kind of brand new 
Only a few weeks old, really, churches, Paul sets up the structure. He sets up the disciplines and the, and the offices uh, on his way back through. And it says that they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. I love this. This is the first time this, con- this concept shows up in the letters. It's the first time it shows up in the books. And I think Paul learned it basically on the road. Like he, you know, because at this point he's been chased from every town. Every town he stopped in, he's, he's, he's escaped. And one, he didn't quite leave fast enough and they actually stoned him. So he kind of fumbles back into Antioch and he preaches, this is going to hurt. <laughs> like, because this is the first missionary journey. He literally comes back and he's like, just so you know, this brings tribulation. Just so you know, we don't really fit in anywhere. We are misfits. And it seems like our job, the Christian job, is to make everybody angry. <laughs> he goes, I went into one town full of Jews, and they wanted to stone me. And I went into the next town thinking, I'm done with the Jews for a while. I'm going to preach to the pagans. And they did stone me. And so it's like, no matter what, I can't win. No matter what scene I find myself in, I'm the guy bringing the tension. Ah, you like the word? Isn't that fun? Everybody's like, every, everybody, in almost every email I get now, somebody brings in, ah, how's that tension for you? It's, uh, but um, yeah, it feels like what Paul is saying is, wherever I go, I bring the tension. I seem to be the one that just stirs it up. And that's who we are. We, we shouldn't fit. This isn't our home. This isn't where we belong. We're aliens here. This isn't our, um, in a sense, and bear with me, don't throw rocks at me. This isn't our country, really. This isn't our place. This isn't our town. We're visitors here. We represent another kingdom. And so when we're here, there's going to be some conflict. We started this book out this way. We started this book out talking about how this book is about tension. It's about two different kingdoms. Jesus ascends to like this other kingdom. And then he says, go out and be my heralds in this kingdom. And it just immediately creates a tension. Ultimately, this is an invasion. Like we are invading enemy territory. It's not really enemy territory. It's all gods. But ultimately... We are, we are underneath another kingdom subverting it with the tools of our kingdom, which are love and generosity and grace and compassion and benevolence. Like all of these tools that Jesus handed us, people are going to know that you're my disciples when you love. Because nobody just does that. Nobody just, let, you know, and, he, and he, then when... In case you don't understand what I mean by that, everybody else loves their neighbor. You love your enemies, the people who are mean to you, the people who hurt you and despitefully use you. That's who you love. And tell me, if you reach out and do that, people aren't going to go, something's different about that guy. Like, no matter how mean I am to him, he's still generous back to me. He's still compassionate. He's still... uh. I mean, we've talked about this. That's some of the early historians. That's what they noted to be different about Christians. It was like, you know, Jewish people take care of their widows and Greek people take care of their widows. Christians seem to take care of everybody's widows. They don't seem to care. They're more giving than anybody else. They all seem to note it. 
So how do we respond to this? And this is where it gets tough. And this is where I have to be honest. This, this message is a bit of a to be continued because this just sets the stage for next week. Next week, because it says when he gets back, it says, and when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So now it's not just Antioch. Up to this point, it's really Antioch. It's kind of the, the Gentile church. And now wherever Paul is going, it seems to be the Gentiles that are responding. And he comes back and announces this, that God has completely and totally opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, which sets up our talk for next week. Because next week, they have to decide what that means. What, is, what does that mean to us? Like, what does that mean to, to be a Jew now? What does that mean to be a non-Jew now? What does it mean to be a Christian now? And, and they, they have to sort that out. And it all gets sorted out next, next week. So this is a, a bit of a prelude because the real uh, climax is next week. I mean, ultimately, this is just the setup for um, this huge talk next week. But the second thing is, and this is the big one, is number one, our worldview matters. Um, Paul didn't go into this pagan town and just kind of preach Jesus on top of their existing worldview. Like he didn't preach Jesus um, on top of their paganism. I mean, because I, I think it's I think it's really telling that um, that Paul doesn't talk about Jesus in this message, because there's a huge risk if he does that they'll take Jesus and say, "Awesome, let's build him a statue." Also. Let's build him a statue too. Like, and, and plugging Jesus into the wrong worldview can be like not having Jesus at all. Like, our worldview matters. And so when Paul is like, um, no, you don't understand, um, you know, I'm trying to get you away from this stuff. There's one God. Like, he, it's almost like he has to adjust the worldview first before they'll even be able to understand who Jesus is. And so that's important. And it's, I don't want to spend too much time there, but our worldview matters. Jesus, um, and we've got to be careful that we don't get into colonial, like colonialism, old colonialism, where we're, we're selling more of our lifestyle than Jesus. Um, but at the same time, uh, there are certain worldview elements that are kind of essential to the faith. And, and I think Paul bumps into that here. I think he knows, you know, I can't just tell these people about Jesus or they'll just put him on the, st- on the shelf with all the other statues. Um, I kind of have to go a little deeper first. But the big thing, and this is where we do get into politics, is we've got to be super careful we don't get co-opted as Christians. It's really easy to do. It's really easy to say, um, well, this side believes in more of what I believe in than that side or a couple of the really hot buttons. And so really I'm just going to adopt the whole package. That's easier. We've got to be careful that we, we stay Christians. And I'm in a sense that that is our political party first. That's our first allegiance. And sometimes that's going to mean we do things that one side uh, doesn't like. And then the very next day we'll have to do something that the other side doesn't like. And, and if ever you feel completely at home in a political party, do a soul check. Because chances are um, you shouldn't. 
And whichever side you are most comfortable in, uh, I would just say be real careful. Because Christianity is, in essence, a politic. It is, in essence, a party. It, it, it comes with an allegiance. It comes with, a, in essence, a membership. Like, it'd be awesome if we had to register. Are you a registered Christian? <laughs> That'd be neat. Show my card. I used to kind of do stuff like that back in the day, but no. Uh, we can't, we, may, we just have to be careful we don't get co-opted into other allegiances. That, um, because pretty soon you start embracing, and this is going to, we're going to expound on this next week, I, like big time, this is where we really get into it next week. Um, as we kind of talk about Torah, it's going to be, next week's going to be awesome. Be here. Um, but we should be misfits. We really should. We, should. we shouldn't fit in. There's something about us. Um, and that doesn't mean we, we go in and we're the jerk at every party who starts a fight. We don't all have to be Paul, <laughs> where we leave every party just before they stone us. Like, that's probably not what we're going for. But at the same time, um, this is a subversive move. We subvert the powers that be with our politics, with our love and our grace and our acceptance and our beauty. And, and in the past, it was with our art and with our um, architecture. And like a lot of this stuff was from the church. And it was its And Granted, when we get in power, we do a terrible job of it. And I'm not suggesting that. I'm just, subject, I'm just suggesting that we... Um, then we always watch our first allegiance. Our first allegiance is always to Christ, always. And, uh, and that's where it has to be. What's ironic, and as we go to the table, um, I want to look at this verse from John 15, because uh, Jesus, in his last you know, couple nights, he stands in front of a Jewish magistrate, well, first he stands in front of the Sanhedrin and they say, put him to death. And so they take him to the kind of the Roman magistrate and he says, put him to death. I mean, ultimately, he didn't have a party he could fit into. He was a, Jesus was a misfit. He, he went in front of the conservatives and they didn't like him. He went in front of the liberals and they didn't like him. And so, and here's how he put it. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, uh, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute, persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. So as we go to the table, I just want to remember, um, <laughs> in a sense, exactly where Jesus' politics got him. They put him on the cross because um, nobody would, uh, nobody would accept him because nobody likes politics that go. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, offer him also your left. If someone makes you carry their armor for a mile, 
You just carry it too. If someone wants to take your coat, give them your shirt too. We do not like those kind of politics. We don't like things that put those kind of a demand on us. Um, Because it means going to the cross. And that's what we've been called to. Take up your cross and follow me.